welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. You know, something that comes up every decade after each U.S. census, that of course being the count of everyone in the United States, politicians and their representatives, they take on the task of changing who you're able to vote for. Yeah, that process is called redistricting. It's a boring sounding word for sure, but it's something that carries a lot of consequence at the local, state, and federal level for elections. While the process targets all those levels, some of the more closely watched work is centered around the reshaping of federal congressional districts. And that's what we want to focus on here today. So Chris, give us an idea of where we are before this redistricting takes place. Yeah, if you look at New Mexico's three congressional districts, one district right now remains pretty competitive. That would be the district down south, Congressional District 2. Voters may remember Zochel Torres Small, the Democrat, and Yvette Harrell, Republican, squaring off in the last two elections. Uh, Harrell is now the sitting U.S. rep in that seat, having won the last election in 2020. This is very much a pro-Second Amendment district, a pro-life district, and I do believe that uh, does play a role in this race. Harold was defeated by Zochel Torres Small in 2018. I am so grateful for everyone who has stood up in this moment to work together. That was the first time a Democrat had taken that seat in 10 years. Now, there are those two other districts in New Mexico that are increasingly less competitive or in some cases have never really been competitive. Let's look at CD3, that's Northern New Mexico. The last election, that was uh, Teresa Ledger Fernandez, the Democrat defeating Alexis Martinez, a Republican, with 59% of the vote. Bill Redmond was the only Republican to ever hold CD3. And the, the, the caricature of a, a right-wing fundamentalist radical is, is not who I am. He uh, did it in a special election after Bill Richardson, a man who would go on later to become New Mexico's governor vacated that seat in 1997 to be a U.S. ambassador to the U.N. And then in central New Mexico, you have Congressional District 1. The 2021 special election really highlighted a lack of competition in that race. We had Democrat Melanie Stansberry beating Republican Mark Moores by more than 32,000 votes. Stansberry with more than 60 percent of the vote. I am proud to stand here tonight as your next congresswoman in the United States. And I remember, Chris, just how quickly that race was called, getting that news app alert. It was incredible to think about the uh, the margin of defeat on that one because that was a special election with literally just that one race on the ballot after Deb Holland had vacated the seat to become uh, President Biden's interior secretary. So we wanted to know, will a realignment of these voting districts help make New Mexico's congressional districts, CD1, 2, or 3, become more competitive? And we really wanted to break this down down so that everybody, including us, can understand the impacts of redistricting. So we brought in our own political science expert. That's UNM professor Gabe Sanchez. I appreciate it. I love having the opportunity to talk a bit about redistricting because I think a lot of times the public knows it's important, but doesn't quite understand why. So let's start with that. Uh, What is the big deal with redistricting? I mean, why does this process matter? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of folks understand that every 10 years, you get the new census numbers, right? Those underlying demographic numbers from the census drive this whole enterprise. And I think people realize like that impacts the political system. But what most folks don't realize is this redistricting process essentially draws all the political maps, 
for all levels of political offices. So whether or not you're voting for the same person for your state legislature, your city council, your member of Congress, all of that is essentially determined by the maps that are created from this process every 10 years. And it also impacts, particularly for elected officials, right? You could be redistricted in essence and no longer basically have the same constituents anymore. So it's a, it's a pretty serious enterprise. And really think about it, if it only happens 10 years, that means it drives a lot of political and consequently policy decisions and outcomes for a whole decade, right? So it, it really is hugely consequential. So Gabe, you mentioned, you know, people should pay attention to this and care, but, you know, why should your average local voter care about this issue? Well, I think for, for all New Mexicans, right, think about it this way. Most, and we've done survey work on this, most New Mexico voters, when we ask them about redistricting, the things that they really care about are ensuring that there's more political competition, right? Because as a voter, the thing you do not want to see is you go to the voting booth and realize there's nobody running against the incumbent. In a sense, you don't have any choice or any influence. And redistricting, that's one of the values that, that folks look at when they're designing the maps, is in theory increasing competitiveness, which is a good thing for all voters. The more competitive it is, right, the more you have, at least in theory, the ability to hold your elected officials accountable. So that's key. And then the other piece of the puzzle is, right, I think folks want to see an opportunity, right, to be able to vote for candidates that actually right, have some semblance of having to be responsive to their constituents. And if you're put into a district where, let's say, it's 70% Democrat or 70% Republican, right, that huge skew essentially means that whoever's got the majority party in that district probably isn't going to face tough competition, right, probably isn't going to have to campaign as hard. And consequently, voters might think might not have to work as hard for, for my vote and be as responsive to me. Is there anyone that you're looking at on the local level that this is really going to impact? It's a little hard to say who might be impacted, right? Part of that is New Mexico did not see a huge population explosion right over the last 10 years. New U.S. Census data shows our population here in New Mexico increased by just 3% in the last 10 years, well below the national average. So that's one of the big contextual points behind redistricting in states that saw a huge increase, they might have actually seen an increase in the number of congressional seats, for example. That's not our reality here in New Mexico. I want to follow up with you on the idea of that political competitiveness. How central do you think political competitiveness will be to this round of redistricting? You want to think about like there's several criteria and all of this is established by the courts, both at the federal and the state level. So this vary a little bit across state. Uh, but there's a set of criterion that the state legislature in our context, right, has to follow when they're creating their maps. And if this goes all the way to the courts, which it has in the last two rounds of redistricting, that's what the judge will evaluate the maps based on, those underlying criterion. And political competitiveness is one of them, but they're competing in some instances. So you'll have, you know, the goal of advancing uh, political competitiveness, but another one that the state legislature can account for is essentially protecting incumbents, uh, trying to do their best. And this isn't the same in all states. In some cases, incumbency is not a big factor that they consider. Here it has been. They want to try to create maps that do not disrupt for as many electeds as possible, right, who their constituents are. So in essence, sometimes protecting incumbency can override competitiveness, because you could really think about those two things as, as maybe being in competition with one another. Right. So the maps have to go through those criterion process. And in essence, that's 
how they'll be evaluated, which set of maps actually does the best across those established criteria and by the courts. So want to talk a little bit about the process. Who's in charge of that? We know that there's a committee. They will make these maps. Changes will be recommended. Walk us through a little bit about what that process looks like here in New Mexico. Now, this is changing across the nation. In many states now, they're moving towards independent commissions, essentially being tasked with creating those maps and removing the legislative uh, folks directly from that process. New Mexico has got a little bit of a hybrid that I'm sure we'll talk about in this round of redistricting, but the legislature essentially creates those maps. Um, and you know, one of the reasons why the last two rounds of this, that process failed and it had to go to the courts to essentially finalize and create the maps that were used uh, for the, the following 10 years is because as you can imagine, this is a highly partisan conversation. And political parties are already finagling numbers and boundary lines looking for an edge. We're about to see a big political fight. News 13's Katie Kim reports it's back to the drawing board. Whenever the legislature is essentially choosing the districts for the next 10 years, you all can think about this as home. It's almost impossible for them not to think about that in terms of how it'll impact they themselves as individuals and their party. Um, so that's the, the backdrop, if you will, for all of these discussions. There's obviously a lot of partisanship uh, that's, that's weaved in to the process whenever you have the, the legislature uh, creating those maps. And I think in this context, right, given that Democrats have a pretty strong advantage in the legislature, I think there's a perception among the public that Democrats might have the ability to tweak these maps, so to speak, to increase their influence for the next 10 years. So that partisan backdrop is a reason why a lot of folks suggest New Mexico should be like a lot of other states and essentially not allow elected officials, in essence, to choose their constituents. Now, Gabe mentioned a hybrid process for redistricting this year. So let's talk about that briefly. The state has a new committee this year called the Citizen Redistricting Committee. You might wonder who's on this committee and who gets to choose these folks. It's made up of seven people. Two are appointed by Democrats, two appointed by Republicans, and three people are appointed by the State Ethics Commission, which is made up of folks chosen by the governor party leaders. Give me a little bit of insight about their background. Yeah, so you had mentioned seven people are on that committee. We'll start with the chair. That is the Honorable Edward L. Chavez. He is actually a former Supreme Court justice. He retired in 2014, and he was indeed appointed by the State Ethics Commission. They as well chose two other sort of non-party affiliated people. One of them is Robert Radigan. He is UNM's Geospatial and Population Studies Department head. He he also is joined in these independent seats by Joaquin Sanchez, who is a public school math teacher. Those are the three people appointed by the State Ethics Commission. On the Republican appointee side, you have Ryan Cangelosi, who has uh, worked for a long time with the New Mexico GOP and now works for UNM's Health Sciences Center's Economic Development Department. You've also got a guy named Christopher Saucedo. He uh, is an Albuquerque attorney raised in Doniana County, but he's also now a New Mexico State University regent. He's had a law practice in Albuquerque for about 20 years. So those two from the Republican side. Then you've got the final two from the Democrats' picks. Those include one name who is very notable, Senator Michael Sanchez. He was appointed by House Speaker Brian Egolf. Michael Sanchez, of course, was known 
I guess you could say affectionately by the Republicans as the Senate boss during much of Governor Susana Martinez's administration. Um, He certainly stood in opposition to much of the governor's agenda during that time. In the Democrats' last pick, that would be the Honorable Lisa Curtis. She as well is an Albuquerque attorney, was formerly at one point appointed to be a state senator in a seat that was vacated. She then ran against Mark Moores, who took over the seat and remains in that seat today. We have to have, especially in the congressional maps, almost exactly the same population in all three districts. Who really does have the power here? New Mexico this year. There has been this committee created that is now full of seven people who have various political affiliations. They make suggestions, but it is ultimately still, it sounds like the legislature, right? This committee's work is not binding in the end. That's 100% correct. And that's why I refer to it as somewhat of a hybrid model, if you will, right? So recent legislation, which I think is a positive step, I know there's some debate about whether or not having this independent commission in place is is normatively good or bad uh, for the redistricting process. I'm of the opinion it's a very positive step in the right direction. Um, But you're exactly right. Um, This commission will create maps. They'll go through all the steps of the processes. Uh, They will create maps based on those criteria that I mentioned earlier. And those maps will be fed in uh, to the state legislature, right? But that committee does not have the ultimate authority. I think about those as recommendations uh, that I suspect will weigh pretty heavily, right, into what the legislature decides in terms of their map, uh, but they're not binding, right? They're, They're in essence a recommendation. And the legislature can, you know, look at those maps, they'll be looking at their own. A lot of input gets fed into this process, including the public has the ability to submit their own maps and their own suggestions. So you want to think about it as a loud, a, a very large sounding board uh, that will be considered. And I think this commission will have a lot of influence given who's on it. And obviously there's a lot of attention this round of redistricting to that piece of the puzzle, uh, but it isn't binding. Are there any particular watch areas? Like, are you, are you looking at how political competitiveness might play out in say congressional district one and congressional district two in Southern New Mexico, where we had, you know, the Torres and Yvette Harrell race. Um, I I think you're onto something in terms of thinking about where there might be some interesting context across our congressional districts, right? Only one is highly competitive down South, right? It's, it's really become increasingly the case that our two um, more Northern congressional districts are not very competitive. Right. They haven't been over this this last 10 year period of redistricting. So there's always a question. And I think focusing on the congressional districts is probably the most intuitive to folks at home because we've only got three of them. Right. So if we want to make the two northern districts more competitive, which means putting more Republicans. Right. Think about redistricting it in a way so that you increase the number of Republican voters in those two districts. Right. By definition, you're going to have to do what? Decrease the number of Republicans down south. Right. And that's the way you want to think about this process. So if we just focus on increased political competitiveness that most political scientists like myself would say is a valuable thing, it increases turnout, civic engagement, interest in the races, all those great normative things. Right. In a, in a state like New Mexico, where you've only got three congressional districts. That's not exactly an easy task for the map makers. 
you know, going into this redistricting, we saw some of that political competitiveness in CD1, or I should say the lack of competitiveness. That election, Melanie Stansberry versus uh, Mark Moores, that election resulted in Stansberry gaining 60% of the vote, Moores 36% of the vote. It clearly showed that, you know, the competitiveness of CD1 has departed. Is that race, I guess, an indication that redistricting really does need to happen in something like Congressional District 1? Or as you mentioned, you know, with just three congressional seats, it's really hard to think about how it does get more competitive. Yeah, I think I think that's a good district for folks at home to understand the significance of redistricting, right? Because we think about the, the good old days, so to speak, right, when you had extreme political competition with Heather Wilson, always in tight races. I mean, that's when I first started getting into into this uh, ability to talk about elections and break these down. I remember those good old days where we would be up late into the evening, right? It would be a toss up race, one of the most watched in the country. All those positive things that I think are all valuable, right? In, In terms of the public being interested in the race and all those things. Well, that was under a different set of maps, obviously, right? And I think what's challenging, however, is it's not just about tinkering with the maps and trying to increase competition. But this is why I want to stress the underlying demographics, right, are the context for all of this. So as more New Mexicans, particularly those that happen to be Democratic, move into the urban area of the state, which is the Albuquerque metro, right, it just tends to be the case that folks that live in large urban areas are more likely to be Democrat. And so as that natural flow of population starts to move, right, it gets more difficult uh, for folks to be able to create what are often referred to as quote unquote compact districts, right? Where you don't have like a sliver of the district moving all the way down south, right? To just capture more Republicans, right? It just becomes more difficult to meet those criterion of compactness, preserving communities of interest, et cetera, when you've got underlying population numbers that at least in that district, right, tend to be increasingly Democrat, right? So that, that's just the reality of the situation. Right. The map making process does the best they can to to meet these criteria within the backdrop of what the census numbers tell us. Okay, so the process is underway this year. Um, You said the public can participate. You know, the committee is going to make suggestions. The legislature will have the final say. How long will this whole process last? I would probably see this carrying out through January. Right. When we think about the full process and obviously some of that depends on whether or not this has to go to the courts as it has in the last two redistricting cycles, which adds a bit of time and by the way, money. That's one of the arguments folks like myself make for having an independent commission is, you know, they're gonna create the maps. There won't be a failed process in the legislature, which costs millions of dollars in time and potentially undercuts confidence uh, in the voting population in our redistricting process if they see that it's failed multiple times. So you got all that, right? to to contend with or deal with. Uh, But that's one of the the roles that I think states, including ours, are trying to figure out is how to engage more of the public into this process. And at least our survey work has shown that the public is hungry for more transparency and more opportunities for engagement. I think at, at the end of the day, right, I think the public should try to learn as much. And it's 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 a somewhat complicated process, right? I think even our conversation today, I've tried to do my best to simplify this, but it is a complex process, right? So I think what I'm hoping uh, myself and others that are involved uh, to a certain extent with this independent commission and providing training um, opportunities for them, 
that they'll be equipped with a lot more information to try to engage the public more directly in the process. And just think about it. I mean, the most important thing to stress is whatever happens with these maps is going to impact your ability, right, to influence political decisions for 10 years. That's, that's a pretty big deal. A big thanks to Gabe Sanchez for his insight on the whole process. Before we wrap up, since we last spoke to Gabe, the Citizens Redistricting Committee has had a chance to come up with several potential maps for state House and state Senate boundaries and New Mexico's federal congressional boundaries, which we focused on here in our episode. KRQE News 13 investigative data reporter Curtis Segarra has written extensively about redistricting on KRQE.com. In fact, a three-part series you should check out right now. Curtis, you've also looked at some of these maps that lawmakers are considering. At this point in the process, what is the big takeaway from these maps? The big takeaway is that they, in their first round of draft maps, they came up with seven different maps, just mapping out the congressional districts, for example. So a lot of different maps, a lot to look at. You know, some of the maps are fairly similar to what we have now with our three congressional districts, um, and some of them look fairly different. They are legally required to do things like protect Native American voting abilities. Uh, So all of the maps kind of take that into account, and they have to try to balance population across these districts. Um, But we have some interesting proposals. Uh, Some of them, for example, look like maps we saw Back in the 1970s, when we only had two districts and the uh, southern half of of New Mexico, the district in the southern half of New Mexico reached all the way up to Colorado. There is a map that uh, proposes something like that, kind of breaking the north-south divide that we currently have with our congressional districts. There is other proposed maps that really kind of make an urban core combining Albuquerque and Santa Fe into District 1, which is obviously different from what we have now, where Santa Fe is in District 3. Uh, We also have some that kind of play with whether or not um, the west side of Albuquerque and Rio Rancho is going to be in District 1 or in a different district. So they're really considering a lot of different options here. Um, And of course, they've been going around and getting even more public comment on those uh, proposed maps. So what's the next step from here? Where do we go from here? So the next step is that the CRC, the redistricting committee, is continuing to kind of look at all of this input, consider everything they've heard so far. They're going to meet up on October 15th and recommend their maps for adoption. Those are supposed to go to the New Mexico legislators by October 30th um, so that they can start looking at them in a special session which they're planning to hold around the first week of December. So the process is nearing the end stages here, but it's not quite over yet. So by October, the end of October, we may have an idea of which direction the lawmakers go. But of course, a reminder, the lawmakers have that final say. Yeah, the lawmakers do have the final say. You know, they can completely reject all these recommended maps if they want to. Um, You know, the, the idea here is that hopefully... All this public input makes maps that are fair and reflective of what the public wants, but we'll see if that uh, is what the public actually ends up getting in the long run. Thanks for listening to the New Mexico News Podcast. We'll have another episode for you next week, so stay tuned. You can always reach me at gabrielle.burkhard at krqe.com via email or on Twitter at gburknm. And I'm Chris McKee TV on Twitter, and you can also reach me on email at chris.mckee at krqe.com. Thanks for listening.